Good morning, good morning, Mark. The Gospel of Mark in chapter 11 this morning. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to take them and turn <clears throat> with me there. Thank you, Matt, and the rest of our worship team for leading us. Is it, is it just me, or like, wasn't there people just like jogging in shorts and riding bikes? in 75 degree weather and I saw snowflakes this morning. Is that just me or something? Great to have each of you here. I'm a little disappointed. I had I'd hoped this morning a little bit different. I was actually had been working diligently all week. Um, I was going to sing my introduction this morning using a, uh, well, playing a 12 string guitar and a harmonica at exactly the same time. But Mark, we can't have that twice in one morning. <clears throat> Thank you, my brother. <laughs> Look, you'll call me on it. You have more talent in your pinky than most of us do. Thank you for that offering. Um, our dear brother Isaac, he's, what is he doing? He's offering himself. Lord, I'll go where you want me to go. Um, and thank you, Isaac, for your willingness to do that. He's going on a team that so far is comprised of himself. Um, that's pretty bold, uh, to tell you the truth. Um, we love you, our brother, and we will be praying for you. And God will use you in amazing ways. I love uh, what the Holy Spirit is doing in this body um, through uh, many of you offering even it's just a little bit that you have whatever it is if you understand okay that you are a sinner you've been saved by God's grace we live with one purpose for his glory that you take whatever it is that you have that one little thing and just offer it back Lord do whatever you want and let me let me just assure you God is going to continue to use and bless his body right here um, as we live in a community that is in desperate need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I love you. I'm proud of you. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Um, and he's going to do amazing things. Uh, we need to pray. I love this text, but it's one of those texts like, Lord, how, how, how do I handle um, a glimpse of your holy fury? Um, Properly, appropriately, in a way that, that um, exalts the name of Jesus and yet edifies the body. So I, I, need, I need help from the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's bow our heads and pray together as we look at the subject of when Jesus comes and cleans house. Let's pray. Father, we, we come before you and oh, how we just love you. Lord, but we also need to be in love, um, present tense, practicing, sacrificing, serving, giving. Father, I, I delight in the fact that we can come to you in all of your might and power and glory and, and rule and reign as your own children, that we can lean into you and trust you and listen to you and learn this morning of you. Father, I pray for this body of believers that you would make us a holy church, that you would be pleased. I pray, Lord, for my dear brothers. I just, I just love 
Chad and Nathan and Scott, um, Josh is brothers that are preaching the gospel in our community. I, I pray, Lord, for them. Encourage their hearts. Bless their, their works, the ministries, the churches you've called them to lead. I pray, Lord, for people that are now gathered in this room at this very moment, people that will hear this message, that you would, as you are present, that you would speak. Please, Lord, may this be a lot about you and, and a little about me. Just, just help us to hear from you and you alone. Father, we just um, we pray for our community as this text reminds us of the purpose and existence of the local church. I just pray, Lord, for the many that are just lost and confused. They're just ensnared in darkness and addictions and, and sin. And you've placed us here and Lord, it's not just about enjoying this time together. It's part of it, but it's about taking good news and, and, and shouting it from the rooftops. But we need your help. We need your spirit. Father, may you speak now as, as we, your servants here, please guard, guard my mind and my mouth. May your perfect will be accomplished. We ask this in the strong and powerful name of our Savior, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen. When Jesus cleans house, last week we looked at when Jesus the king arrives. Just just quick review, very briefly. Jesus rode into Jerusalem as the conquering king. Totally different than what you would expect. Not high and mighty. There's not a white horse and a flashing sword in the sun. It was what? It was low and humble. He was riding on a little donkey and yet it was, what, perfectly prophesied according to Scripture, fulfilled according to Scripture. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, 550 years prior, said that the king, Jesus, is going to come on a little donkey, a little foal. That's exactly what happened. It's totally different than what people would expect. People thought Jesus was coming to free them from Roman tyranny, bigger, much bigger. He's freeing people from the tyranny of sin. Different king, different kingdom entirely now we have this text here we want to read it it's it's going to be found in verses 15 through 19 just a very quick note i'm not skipping verses 12 through 14 okay what we're going to do next week is we'll look at 12 and through 14 with verses 20 to 25 because they're connected okay there's there's a connection we're going to see between the cleansing of the temple and the cursing of the fig tree. And we'll look at the fig tree next week. So it's, we'll kind of take those portions of Scripture just so you understand. There is a connection. Both of them deal with false religion, with fake faith, with, with corrupt and crooked and faulty worship. So we're going to be examining these, but we only have the time to, to, to take a, a look at one uh, this week. There's, think of it as, as Mark writing kind of split-screen approach, Okay. So here's our text, Mark chapter 11, 15 through 19. <clears throat> and they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple, he, speaking of Jesus, and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. 
And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished. There's that word again, amazed at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Moral of the story is don't sell pigeons, right? Is that what it is? Far from that. Number one, let me give you three points this morning. Number one, Jesus enters on mission. Jesus enters on mission. Directing your attention to the first phrase of verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought. Now, if you recall a little bit as far as what's happening, when this is happening, the previous day, okay, Jesus rode into, it was the first day of the week, which would have been what? Sunday. We celebrate, we celebrate the triumphant entry on Palm Sunday, which would mean this is Monday. Oh, so this explains Jesus is just ticked off early on a Monday morning, right? Everyone, everyone, everyone likes Monday morning. So Jesus is just having a bad Monday. No. Here we go. If you recall last week, we read verse 11, and it concluded with this thought. We didn't spend a lot of time on it because, again, it's connected to this text. It says that in verse 11, he entered Jerusalem, he went to the temple, and when he had looked around at everything, he he looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Now, now we have to kind of look at the full picture here. It was very evident that Jesus, in his omniscience, he knows everything. He doesn't need to see the remnants of what was going on at the temple, but he does. He goes and he looks at it. It says what he saw, he looked around at everything, and he realized what? Something is not right. Something is amiss here. Um, It's out of Place. His, his spirit was unsettled. Although, as we can see from verse 11, it was late. Everything had, had, had been closed up. There was nothing happening. Nothing was being sold. There was evidence of it. Still tables probably set up. Still, still cages that held the pigeons. Still what? We, we, we see the evidence of things. Stalls with the little lambs or the little sheep. And so Jesus sees everything, he leaves, and so he has all night long to pray. He has all night long, in a sense, to plan and to put on his list for the very first thing to do and the very, very, very first thing on Monday morning on his agenda, to go back to the temple and to clean up his father's house. Now, we just have to pause here a little bit by way of just, just, just history on, on this whole temple idea. And I know in home groups we're studying through the book of Genesis. If you recall, a couple weeks ago, Genesis chapter 22, 
when Abraham took Isaac atop Mount Moriah to sacrifice, remember, he was asked to sacrifice his own son. Abraham, out of obedience, was willing to do that, but at the last moment, God provided a lamb. You realize that this temple is built on that exact site? It was on that very site 900 years after Genesis 22, when Abraham sacrificed Isaac, that David, in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, purchases this plot of land, Mount Moriah. And it's six years after that, what? That we know that David, who wanted to build a temple, he was a man of bloodshed, he was a man of war, God wouldn't allow him, that his son Solomon built this amazing, unparalleled building. Very specific instructions according to 1 Chronicles and 1 Kings, this monumental feat as a tribute. It's literally, it's, it's overlaid with gold as a tribute to God and his holiness. You know, at all the history about the temple was 350 years after that that Babylon comes and literally just destroys and levels the temple. And we know that they're brought into captivity, but 70 years after that, they're, they're brought back. And in, in 515, through the permission of King Zerubbabel, that they're allowed to build a second temple. It's nothing compared to the one that Solomon had built, but it's a second temple. And so it was what? It was a couple hundred years past after that that again, there was a, 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 a conquest of a horrific Antiochus, a pagan ruler who, who in a sense moves into the temple and builds a, a false altar to a false god, Jupiter, and sacrifices a pig on the altar, just desecrates. We know that, what, a couple hundred years pass after that? And it's just this, 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 destruction and desecration and then there's the reestablishing of what would be referred to as the third temple which is really just a rebuilding of the second an expansion of the second and they work on this for years and it's at this particular moment right here they've been building this from 20 BC to 64 AD and this is the moment right here it's this temple that we're speaking of in Mark chapter 11 if you continue on later, if you fast forward a little bit from Mark chapter 11, by 70 A.D., six years after it's finished, again, it's destroyed, crushed to the ground. In 135, the Roman Empire builds another temple on that site. That's destroyed. Have you ever been to it on that very site at this very moment in 687? What? Muslims built the Dome of the Rock that exists to this day on this very site. This, this argued and fought over piece of property. It's, it's that site right here on the top of Mount Moriah where Abraham offered his son Isaac that is, is, is what we're talking about. You need to know some of that. Jesus comes first thing on Monday morning to this place, this precious place that represents not only the work of God, but the work that is offered to sinners. It says that Jesus entered the temple. And just so that you know, he doesn't walk directly into the temple. He walks into what is referred to as the courts, the temple courts. NIV actually has it. If you have that in front of you, Jesus entered the temple courts. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says he entered the temple complex. Before you get into the temple, there's this courtyard. It's referred to as the court of the, the Gentiles or the court of the ethne, the court of the nations. And this is the only part that... You and I, if we were there, that's the only part that we could go. Anyone who was, who was non-Jewish, 
It would be a what? An opportunity still to get a glimpse of the hope of salvation and forgiveness of sin that exists. It'd be in that court in front of the actual temple proper, the court of the Gentiles that Jesus would have walked into, and it's this buzz of activity of like an outdoor market. Think of, think of the, the uh, a, a market without the candy corn or without the funnel cake. It's kind of like that, that bustling activity. It's in this moment, if you recall, that there had been thousands upon thousands of people that arrived to celebrate Passover and they're, they're purchasing what? Lambs, they're purchasing pigeons to take them to the priests so that their sins could be atoned for. Now there has been what? There has been much written on this particular event. And what I have noticed is that there seems to be two extremes here. Yes, this is a place that any one of us could go to have our sins atoned for. But yet Jesus comes and he sees, he sees something that is amiss, that is wrong. And so from one extreme, we have everything from Jesus is in this like green, hulkish rage. Okay, that literally, he's not just like, he's not just tipping tables over. Like he's tossing people around like there's one extreme of that and then there seems to be as some writers would say no 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 this is Jesus he's a pacifist he's like literally just and and the, the gospel writers kind of took too much liberty here that Jesus was more like excuse me excuse me like when you get a moment could you could you put the pigeon away so we have kind of like these two extremes of how people interpret this particular scene for us. Let, let, let me assure you, this is not a spur of the moment, out of control, red-faced, spitting Jesus. Okay, this is, that's not the case. Nor is it a pretty polite scene in the ministry of Jesus. So somewhere in between these extremes, we have a perfect, completely God, completely man, sinless moment of what I refer to as righteous indignation, righteous anger, or what I call holy fury. Now, how, how do we strike this balance here? Because this is the house of God, because this is the temple of God, a place that has been designed for people to receive atonement for their sins. And yet it has been flipped around into some cheap profiteer's marketplace. But Jesus says something has to be done, something must be done, and he moves he moves always with a precise purpose and plan. He has come to fulfill his Father's will. He, he has come to establish his kingdom. He has come, thankfully, praise God, to move everyone from sinfulness towards holiness. And so this is a very clear, precise, marked moment since the very foundation of the earth has been established. He's not out of control here. Jesus cannot be out of control. 
like the way Sinclair Ferguson says it, and I quote, everything Jesus does is stamped with the imprint of gracious authority. Isn't that a perfect description? This is holy fury. And yet it's with gracious authority. What many people don't realize is that this is not the first time this has actually happened in the ministry of Jesus. Do you realize that? Sure, it's recorded here in Mark chapter 11. We also have a record of it in Matthew 21. We have a record of it in Luke chapter 19. Those three times are all at the, what, the tail end of Jesus' earthly ministry. You realize that in John chapter 2, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, right after he turned water into wine at the wedding of Cana, he comes into the house of God, the temple of God, and he sees exactly the same mess, and he does almost exactly the same thing. Except that time it says what? In, in John chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, he made a whip out of cords. He took some rope, and he started to whip the boys who were selling the pigeons to drive them out from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers. He overturned their tables to those who sold doves. He said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. It's in this record that we have what? In a sense, the book ends of Jesus' ministry. He begins his ministry cleaning out the temple of God. And he concludes his earthly ministry cleaning out the temple of God. This is so important. Why? Because the Lord is concerned about worship. The temple of God is what is the heart of worship. And so Jesus directly confronts the corruption of Israel's false and faulty religion. John MacArthur says it like this. I, I read this week. When, when the temple is corrupt, it's because the leaders are corrupt. When the leaders are corrupt, the people are corrupt. When the people are corrupt, the nation is corrupt. He says, if it's bad in the temple... It's bad everywhere. Pause. Just hit pause for a moment. Think about churches today. Churches that remove the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What happens to it? It shrivels up and dies. But sadly, oftentimes before that happens, it has misled. It's mistaught. Many people cause great destruction. When there's problem in the church, there's problem in the community. That's, that's why it's so important for a few moments, even today, a few moments for us to stop and examine what, what, what's happening here. Like, how do we do this so that God is always glorified and there is a clear set path of what? Forgiveness and atonement and hope to be offered. That's why Jesus, he goes, he goes to the heart of the problem whole buying and, and selling. It's why it's so people could get and gain money and stuff. This, this whole thing was just a complete sham. A family could be raising a beautiful, perfect little lamb all year, or however old a lamb is, how, you know, all year. And, and they, it could be like the perfect lamb. And what happens is that they would bring this little lamb when they came into Jerusalem, and it would have to be inspected by the priest. 
And the priest, okay, corrupt leadership could say, yeah, 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 that, that's it's not without blemish. There's, there's a problem with it right there. We can't use that one, but we do have one for, for sale right, out the, right outside. And it's like five times the amount or 10 times or 20 times the amount. And so they had people. You want your sins forgiven, you got to go through this corrupt system. Jesus enters here on a mission. Secondly, number two, Jesus cleans with passion. He cleans with passion. Look what it says in the latter part of verse 15. He, he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. Now, there's really few places in all of Scripture. John chapter 2 would be one of them that are as awe-inspiring as this one. Jesus, completely holy, no sin, and we get a little glimpse of his holy wrath. Do you realize that there's a part of God for some reason that we, we kind of like to skip over or we like to go around? Do you realize that God is a wrathful God? That he is a vengeful God? That he is a jealous God, not out to destroy anyone, but what? He's, he's wrathful towards sin. And he moves here with what? He burns with frightening purity. He cannot stand. He cannot, cannot stand to get a glimpse, and it angers him, and it furies him. Over sin. Could, could we stop again and, and ask, do you get angry over sin? I'm, I'm not saying what, like, like angry necessarily at that person. You get angry at sin. D does it make your blood boil to hear blasphemy spoken against a holy God? Does, does, it, does it bother you to see open and blatant disregard of God's holy word and God's instruction? Now, now please note, when we, when we have a holy anger, when we see the presence of sin and, and we are in fury because of that, this does not allow us to go firebomb an abortion clinic. Okay, that's not what we're talking about. Let's, let's hurl insults at a gay pride parade. No, no that's not what we're talking about. You don't, you don't attack um, some liberal atheist because he denies the existence of God. What do we do in those settings? Do you realize that Jesus teaches us here that it's a combination of what? It's a combination of action, but also of word. And Jesus displays that here for us. He, he has both of them. Think about if it was just action for a moment. What if Jesus just went into the temple and flipped things over, crashed and banged, and just walked out again? Like, like excuse me, bad Monday? It, just confusion. What if Jesus left all of that and just spoke a few words and that's, 
in a sense, there's a combination here. Not only do we see that Jesus enters on mission, he cleans with passion, but thirdly and finally, what does he do here? He, he teaches with affection. He does. He displays affection here. Look what it says. It says, and he was teaching them and saying, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Look at this next phrase here. Put a little parenthesis, if you're writing your Bibles, for all the nations. There's hope that's offered to everyone. That's the design of why the temple of God, of why the house of God is here. It's for his glory so that other people can have hope for all the nations. But you, you've turned it into a den of thieves, a den of robbers. This is a direct quote from Isaiah in chapter 56 in verse 7. My house my father's house is to be house of prayer. It's interesting, is that you gain a context. You read, we don't have the time to read it, 56, Isaiah 56, 4, 5, 6, 7 through 8. And we get this idea here that it's the, the eunuchs would keep God's covenants, okay? But foreigners, by the time we get to verse, verse 8 of Isaiah chapter 56, the outcasts, the so-called outcasts, the people of the nations, the ethnic would be allowed to come into the temple to offer, to seek atonement, to have an opportunity for their sins to be forgiven. So as Jesus speaks here, <clears throat> excuse me, notice he doesn't only speak out of affection for his father, his heavenly father. He speaks out of what? He speaks out of an affection for the other people. How are people supposed to get in to receive forgiveness if you people are what? Caught up in this money-making scheme you're missing the whole purpose of the temple the, be, the people are to come so they can commune with God they can seek redemption and atonement from their sins it's a place of forgiveness it's a place of renewal it's a place of, of hope and, and it's, been, it's been turned into this co-op of commerce into what? a ghetto of greed forces us to ask how about how about our church how about this little body of believers right here how, how well does our worship herald or shout to everyone around us a vision of the hope that exists in the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ how, how close how does our relational investments relations are important here and and what? Our, our, our corporate gatherings, how do they reflect, even in a small way, what? The heart of God that is to be offered to everyone, even to the so-called outcasts that surround us. We, what? It's important to us. The fact that we strive to do church in a way that God is glorified, but we still work. We work diligently so that we present, what, our finest. And so we put great effort into that every single Sunday as we gather to worship. We are very careful to make sure that no one is selling pigeons in the parking lot or no one's, no one's selling, like, the best parking spot. Like, hey, for five bucks, I'll let you have mine. Uh, 
we wouldn't allow that. There's no, there's no popcorn that you can buy for the show here. We would not allow that. But we do put great effort to make sure that everything is what? That, that we dress up in our nice clothes and that we do the best that we can with, with our decor and with our music and with our programs. But think about it. What if Jesus... What if Jesus were to come into Big Woods today? Sit in the back. What if, what if Jesus were, were to come, step into this building? So something tells me that he would be looking for the outcasts. That, that Jesus would be looking for the misfits of our society. That's, that's, he, was, he was furious at what was happening in what? In his father's house because people were what? People were, were preventing other people from coming in. And, and I think that even in our best efforts, we still, perhaps even unintentionally, we still can do that. We have to make sure what? We have to make sure that Everyone, yes, 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 yes. We know everyone's always welcome, but you better clean yourself up first. You, you, you better not come dressed like that. You, you, you better not. You better not use that term. Oh, don't bring that. Don't bring that version of the Bible. And and we have this idea that says, wait a minute, are we are we preventing people? Are we allowing people to come to receive what forgiveness? It's to be a place of hope. It's to be a place of redemption. So we have to examine this setting here in light of truth and scripture. Are we doing everything that we can and, and making sure that no one is what prevented from coming in? Quickly, in closing, how do we kind of take this text and apply it to our hearts? Uh, number one, view, view sin with righteous indignation. Like, like we need to be furious. It doesn't give us, it doesn't unleash us to act and throw rocks, okay? But dads, you, you, you better be angry. You better be angered, and, 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 and you better, in a sense, what? When, when, when you see sin creep into your house. God's word says this, Romans chapter 1, verse 18, for the wrath of God, Phillips translates it like this, for the holy anger of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And that's what happens. One, view sin with righteous indignation. Secondly, pursue holiness with a passionate aggression. That's what I love probably more than anything else about this text is that it's just Jesus in passion. And I love that. It's what we need. Pursue holiness with a passionate aggression, Paul wrote to Timothy, what, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness. Run hard after godliness and faith and love and steadfastness and gentleness. People, we need to pursue that which God calls holy. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14 says, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Thirdly and finally, strive to keep the house 
of God a place for all people to hear the good news. How do we apply this text? We examine our own hearts. We examine what the house of God that exists right here. And we what? Strive to keep this place a place for every single person. We would do nothing. We would never hinder or hold back others from coming to hear the truth of forgiveness that can be offered through the Lord Jesus Christ. It says this in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. And I'll close. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he has ordained by his own blood. Realize that's instruction to pastors and elders to guard and to shepherd, to watch over. What a responsibility we have to make sure. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 1 says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near, to listen, is better than to offer sacrifice. And what a great reminder of the focus on holiness for us as a church. The focus of allowing others to come to hear about the redemption and forgiveness of sin through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. A holy fury displayed by Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are. Thank you, Lord, for this text and for the reminder from, from your word on how we as a church should be doing ministry. Uh, please, Lord, forgive us if there are moments that we, um, um, we block or we distract people from the message of the gospel. Father, help us, Lord, to to be furious over sin, not unleashing us to act on that, but to love and to pray and to pursue holiness and to be holy as you are holy. Father, we need your strength to do that, and we ask for that strength. May you allow us to be faithful to the teaching of your word and obedience. We ask this in Jesus' name.